listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is how I always see Bracken, Justin, is him cramming his face with some gross-sounding food. PB&J? I don't know. It's a burrito. We have chicken, man. sweet potato, lettuce, ranch, and Chick-fil-A sauce. But it's like it's oh, wow. like he could have – he had all of this other time to do this, and like somehow this is the only time he could find to eat is this time. Like somehow. I came blasting through the door after a quality session. Hit straight in the shower, jumped out, wrapped this thing up, and got up here. You could have left for your quality session five minutes earlier. Probably. I was just hanging. <laughs> Sixty seconds ago, I was hanging a sheet outside that window so the sun wouldn't come through. That was about four minutes before I woke up from a nap. So we're all, you know, it's good. It's by the skin of our teeth. Right? Do you have a blanket like hanging on the outside of your house right now? Yeah, I put it on the. The only thing I could find was like a Grateful Dead like fleece blanket. And I hung it up inside, and I was like, that's too big of a statement behind me. So I wouldn't have hung it up outside. <laughs> That'll hit off well with the neighbors, huh? Yeah. Randos, yeah like, Ooh. I, you live in the middle of the woods. Nobody can see it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. The neighbors definitely cannot see it. have a rebel right. flag or whatever you want. No one, else, no one will ever know. No. I'm trying to think when we talked to you last, Justin. It, uh, it was probably like a year ago, a year and a half ago. We did Justin's top tips for ultra running or something like that. Long yeah, events. It was, it was great. To Laz. Before Ode to Laz in 2021. No, 2022. Did you run Ode this last year? No. No, I didn't. I haven't done any of the traditional like 4.1 mile backyard ultra. They're just... Uh. I, it's not a bucket. That's like a bucket list thing for me. But it's like the way I told my wife is like, I really don't know if I want to run for four to five days like even if i could like that's a long time to run <laughs> yeah and you uh you're stubborn enough to probably do it i suppose and then pay the consequences yeah get hurt trying or you know whatever but yeah i think so i was signed up for capital backyard last summer um and that ended up going like four days long scott snell ended up winning that uh getting a ticket to uh bigs i think he's going this year but yeah so that's just like uh man that's i know i'm good for 48 72 maybe but going into four days like i just i'm not there confidently yet and so that's something i wouldn't want to i don't want to sign up unless i know for sure i have what it takes i don't know if you know until you're there do you like how do you really know if you're prepared for three days of that until you're on day three right at least that's, that's how I would point. look at it. Yeah, I would. Uh, I guess I meant like I would go after like a three or four day FKT uh, first, mm. get some some real long like two three hundred mile effort in in the mountains, and then I'd be like, okay. But the longest thing I've done is it was a two hundred miler, but I slept for like four to six hours a day, so it was more like a stage race. Hmm. Kirk, do you see DJ Fox is going after the Colorado Trail right now? I did not. Yeah, he's prepped all summer. He's got a whole crewing strategy out there. He's got a bunch of awesome people who are going to meet him along the way, but going after the Colorado Trail. What are the specs on it? You know what? I'll pull it up. I want to get this right. I assume it's big. Oh, yeah, it's Real big. big. Colorado like 500 Trail. Miles, mm. 500 miles, 500-something miles. I've been mm-hmm. trying to get in contact with USAA for like three days. 
And of course, they just called me, and I missed. <laughs> if you need, Do you need to. to get on it, no, because you can't call them back. It goes to their voicemail, and they say, uh-huh. "Leave a voicemail, and I'll call you back within a twenty-four hours." And that's, mm-hmm. that's a lie. It's mm-hmm. Colorado Trail, five hundred miles, ninety thousand feet of vert. You know what I think when I hear that is I went on a six-mile recovery run just before this, and <laughs> I hated every step of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Today was just one of those days, and then I think, like, you know, some days you float and it's effortless. So we, we, you know, we feel very lucky for those days. And then some days are like today where I, it could, I would have rather been doing anything else than in my running shoes running six miles. I have to imagine however you feel. I don't know, mile 300 maybe, I don't know, 400, I don't know where it happens. <laughs> Whatever I felt is nothing, nothing, that awful disdain. Oh, my foot hurts a little and my, you know, a little rubbing here, like 500 miles. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's that's another that's another whole thing there. I know the uh, female, Tara Dower, just, she got it. And then, like, days later, another female took it from her. Days later. <laughs> That's wild. Ugh. So, when a, in a trip like that, let's say anything over two hundred miles, how how much do you actually get to push? Like, if you're feeling good, is it a long enough event that you can just let's work this climb because we got three days <laughs> to recover and we're still going, or is it just one of those hurry up and wait, just wait and wait and wait until there is no more option of pushing and now you just sit in it? No, because I paced uh, one of my athletes. Meg Landymore, she just did the Appalachian High Route, and it's um, it was about 350 miles. It took her, oh, I don't want to misquote it, it was six days. Um, and I paced her on day three and a half, day four. She was over 200 miles in. And, yeah, so, like, the first five miles, she was, I was like, uh-oh, you know, she's not going to drop me, is she, on these clocks? <laughs> And then, and then she did settle into like a more forever pace. But then we got to um, kind of like the last crew point before she was going to stop for the day. So we got to a crew point and she had to run um, about 10 more miles. And it was, she had to climb Clemens Dome on the Appalachian Trail. And I remember her uh, crew chief, Warren Doyle, was like, all right, so it's going to take you, you know, maybe three, three or so hours to get back to us. And we both looked at her, looked at him like, you're crazy. Have you, did you not know our pace all day? And then we got back to them before three hours because she just completely crushed the climb, man. And, like, I think little bits of, you know, she knew she was going to get to celebrate in three or so hours with some pizza and lay down in the back of the car. So she hammered it, man. Like, we, we climbed Clemens Dome fast. Hmm. And then she, you know, she paid for it on the downhill. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely, they get in them. And at least, you know, of a few people I've seen, they pick it up, like, right in the middle of nowhere, hundreds of miles into this. And then... The end of her route was basically a 30-mile net downhill, and she absolutely she ran it. Because mm. you watch these FKT attempts. You watch the Appalachian Trail attempts or the Colorado Trail or I'm trying to think of some of the other big ones I've watched happen, Arizona Trail, certain things that are the big massive efforts, and their crew's like, oh, man, they're rolling today. You think, yeah, but what does rolling really mean? Does that mean they just jogged more than typical? Because you, you, you can't have eyes on them the whole time. Or do they actually get rolling for a while where you're like, man, I can barely keep up. And it sounds like sometimes they get into that zone. Yeah, they get some good food in. Um, I know for me, like I've done like a two and a half, three day, three day one. And you start, start bonking because you're just living off trail food. And then somehow you get some like real salt. You get 800 calories into your gut. And it's like, yeah, it's like crack. At least for a few hours, at least start moving. 
See, for me, it wouldn't have anything to do with energy management. I mean, it would, of course, but the big thing for me would be structural damage. Even if I'm shuffling, managing hips, feet, maybe knees, something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you can put 800 calories of hamburger in my body, and I'm my knees are my hips are still gonna hurt, right? So for me, it's like that's where I like I can keep moving forward even if I'm dragging myself at a snail's pace, but eventually structurally is where my mind goes maybe it's because i'm 40 i don't know i know you're you're not that much far behind me justin and bracken isn't either but i just think structure i don't even think about energy systems i think how's my body going to hold up to this energy aside how much of that is a factor that's a big that's a huge unknown uh, on every single one of these um you can try to bulletproof with strength work mobility and gaining as much resistance to impact as possible beforehand but still, uh, it's a huge unknown. On this last 100 I ran, I dealt with IT band issues on my right leg, and I haven't dealt with an IT band or knee issue in two and a half, three years on a run. Um, and it just, <laughs> but I mean, I didn't mean. stop. I, yeah, I didn't stop. I, I mean, I didn't degrade in pace any more than I had in any other uh, race where my knee didn't hurt. Um, I think you find people who are just willing to really, unless it's like a, acute injury that's causing like a catastrophic mechanic malfunction like you find people who just like muscles like i don't know they will through that stuff i don't know about you guys but i find that the moment i set out to do something long i use a different stride even if it may not look totally different like i go right into the conservation mode like every ultra i've ever run i don't bounce the first mile every 10k or 15k i've ever run i bounce the first mile and then eventually it degrades down. Every ultra that I've set out to do, or every long run, I just go right into that, all right, here's mile 10 stride. And you see, you look at the best multi-day people, and I think Walmsley's the only guy I know that pops off the ground. I mean, there's some other. Hayden Hodge pops off the ground. So it made the new crowd of that ultra, Adam Peterman, uh, those, those type of people, they do pop off the ground. But like Courtney, she doesn't pop off the ground ever. Killian doesn't yeah. really pop off the ground. The uh, Francois doesn't really pop off the ground. John Albin doesn't pop off the ground. They they sit in that that safe, fast stride always. And I wonder if that's a huge component to this. The people that naturally don't have a a bouncy stride, they can just sit in the. I don't really like Dylan Bowman, for example. I've watched a bunch of his videos. He never looks like he's actually running that fast. And then you look at his pace, yeah. and he's he's fast. But he doesn't have that bouncy stride that screams speed. And I wonder if you just take less damage that way. Yeah, you have to. I mean, I would assume so. Yeah. Should we um should we intro uh, Justin today, Bracken? I don't exactly know what we're doing here, but all I know, all I know is that every time we've talked to you, Justin, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. This is your third time on the podcast. And I would say I learned something from every guest. But the last episode you gave with us was an absolute clinic walking us through your hot tips for ultras, the things you thought about, the checklists, the there, there were ideas like I'm pretty well-versed. We've been at this a long time. And the, the level of detail, the attention to detail you paid, I don't know about you, Bracken, but I was like, this dude is on his stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I believe you raced recently, correct? You had a you had something you did pretty big recently. You're just a mind that's worth like trying to get into. So I believe that's what we're doing here today. Am I right, Bracken? Am I right, Justin? Yeah, third time here. First time out, we got one of the better human stories we've ever heard. 
Second time out yeah. was pure nuts and bolts. Just the the details of how do you approach running a long ultra. And then third time in, we're going to hit in the middle here. He just did the Georgia Jewel, which takes a lot of prep. He had a bunch of athletes there. It's a nasty race. If you run in Georgia and it's an ultra, you're probably getting something nasty. And the Georgia Jewel is no exception to that. And he had success and he had trials out there on course. And it just seemed like this is this is the time. Let's chat through a natural race report, lead in with trading, how the race went, how you come out of it, what's next, that kind of thing. So it'll be third episode, but third different style we've done with you. Right on. I'm down. Can you so tell Georgia us about Jewel. what are the specs? Yeah, yeah. Well, go break, ahead. Break, break it down. Break down too. the course. I know we have some people out here who have already trained for it, but Georgia – Georgia Jewel, you hear Georgia Death Race, Georgia Jewel, things down in that part of the country, they exist in their own little pocket. And a lot of people aren't yeah. aware of it. So uh, give us the specs on the course and then kind of the cliff notes of what you were about to undertake. Yeah, so the Georgia Jewel 100, it is, in my opinion, it's it's one of the faster mountain 100s around, um, even on the whole East Coast. Because it does, it's, it's 100 mi- like 101 miles and... It has, depending on what watch you use, fourteen to 15,000 feet of gain in it. So it's not flat, uh, but it's not aggressively uh, vert-heavy like something like the Cruel Jewel, where it's 33,000 foot or hard rock. Mm-hmm. But it's it's like Western, it's got more vert than Western states. Um, but the way it's set up is basically three segments. You run 36 miles of mountainous terrain. You collect about six five to six thousand foot of vert for 36 miles running out to like an equestrian center where people ride their horses and that is flat that is not even a hundred uh, foot of gain per mile average out there and you run 28 miles out there and then you turn around you run you run the same route you ran back and it's pretty equal uh vert on the way out as it is back so you might gain 2k and the 28 miles at the flat equestrian center in the middle and then you gain another five or six on the way back. So it's a really good chance to, if you do have some mountain legs, to be able to make it out to that middle portion where it's flatter and to pick it up and to really burn it. Like you, could, I was running 10, 10 well, I had a, a quite a bit of nine-minute uh, miles out there. Um, but, yeah, so you get out to that. You do some mountainous running. You get out there. You run some flats, and then you do the mountainous run back. And that's where it's like, okay <laughs> – who really wants it now? Because after burning and turning out on the flats, you got to you got some some monster climb. I mean, I'll say monster climbs in relation to how you feel. There's definitely bigger climbs here in Georgia and worse mountain ranges and stuff. But yeah, you got leaving out of the Dry Creek flat area, you got like a six mile ascent up to this uh, mountain called Johns Mountain, and then. When you descend, it's only like three mile descent, and it's so it's super steep, super rocky, super technical, and most of the race is held on the Pinhody Trail. And this section of it is notorious, and it's referred to as the Rock Garden. And it is just, man, it's like someone just took wheelbarrows of rocks and dumped them along the, the trail. Uh, and it is so when you're coming back after you've ran 64 miles. And now you're running on the Penhody again with all these rocks. You just can't pick your legs up like you were. And it's just like you're kicking stones, man. Um, even the best people out there, they, they come out with like no toenails. Um, you can have your shoes a size bigger, whatever, all the tricks 
as much salty britches on your feet, toe sauce, it doesn't matter. Uh, if you're really rutted, you're coming out with some gnarly looking feet. Um, and so, yeah, it's a real good opportunity to get out there and run a fast mountain 100. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a great course. And I'm so I'm going back. I've been there. I went in 2021 and I went with a goal of going under 22 hours and I had the worst day ever. I blew up on the first mountainous section and just survived at the flats and crawled back with trekking poles uh, and ended up just under 24 hours. And then uh, I paced and crewed someone in 2022. And so for the past four years, I've been out on this course in some in some way. Um, so it's it's near dear to me. And I, I really want to go break that course record. That was kind of my goal this year. Um, but like Bracken said, I, I ran into some trials out there really early on and uh, had to just hang on and, and deal with it, man. I feel like that style would... Um, 100 doesn't appeal to me, we'll just say at this point in my <laughs> life. But I don't know why, but that style would appeal to me almost like segmented out like get through segment one through the mountains mm -hmm. okay new task at hand segment two on in quotes the flats and then returning probably with absolutely obliterated legs from all that flat running into the third segment back in the mountains which at least changes systems or, or mechanics we'll say we get a new opportunity do you find a style like that although like some could look at that as redundant and out and back we'll call it or uh, i don't know if it's a looped segment in the middle or what it what it is, it is. but it's looped um i don't know why but i feel like that would me mentally and emotionally like maybe work for me a little bit better than like even a full 50 mile out and back or a unique 100 mile course do you find that do you find that for yourself yeah, so you guys hear those dings? No. Not. All right, cool. Training Peaks nope. updates. I can hear them as long as you can't. It's all good. Uh, nope. So, yeah, so it's, it's really cool because, yeah, you, you run out. I ran handhelds the entire time. Um, but uh, traditionally, like, people will run with a pack and maybe even trekking poles for the first 36 miles. And they get out to the area called Dry Creek. And what's cool about it is, yes, it's two loops that you do four times. You do loop one twice. You do loop uh, two twice. And you're you always – so you, you run into Dry Creek. There's a huge aid station. There's every single crew car there. It's a giant parking area in the grass. And so they're all camped out. And they get to wait there for, if you're fast, six hours. If you're not, ten hours. And see you come through there that same spot so your crew never has to move and they get to set up like mm. triage tents and it is it's really fun so generally yeah people will run out with a big pack and trekking poles and then they get there and they dump the pack they get a handheld or two and they do these these faster loops they get to their their crew they get another handheld and so they absolutely like most people break it up in those segments and it makes it mentally way easier um for the the main point being if you're a little bit if you're like a mid packer you're hanging at dry creek through the worst hours you're showing up at 10 and you're leaving at like six in the morning but you're seeing your crew every two to three hours in the same little party spot they're awake everyone's hanging out, all the crews together there's kids running around um it's a really fun uh format for sure for a 100 it's very unique that's wild i i can only equate it to because I've never run an ultra that you come through a crew section more than once other than Tennessee. And and that was constant. Like, just It gets you back on task constantly. Every 10 to 12 minutes, you're back on task. You get a little pump from the crowd. 
So I can't even imagine during 100 being able to come through multiple times into the same area and be like, all right, the thing that would have bothered me for eight hours on the trail, I can fix here every two. Yeah. That would be yeah. such a cool atmosphere there. And you know how ultra crowds are. Those those crew areas turn into their own little community in there. That'd be, that would be a fun style to hit in the middle. But then maybe perspectively way worse putting the heavy pack on and getting back out onto the trail alone after that. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, so when you leave dry Creek, you can't pick up a pacer. So when you head okay. back into the mountains, you can bring a pacer with you, which I did the first year I did it. Um, this year I had my buddy, um, there's a, well, I live right at the base of Brasstown Balls, the highest peak in Georgia. And there's a, there's three trails that summit it. And if you run up and down all three, connect them at the top, it makes a 50 K so 31 miles with 10,000 feet of vert. And he had the FKT. We didn't know each other. And I went out and took it. And he messaged me on Strava. Hey, man, we should run together. I live at the base of this trail. And so I live at the base of one of them. He lives at the base of the other. And so we met up and we've been running together uh, ever since. And so it was pretty cool. He got to go out there and pace me. But um, what I was going to mention about Dry Creek is so when you're you take off, and you're in the front of the race, you got a good idea of what position you're in. Even if a bunch of people are passing, you're like, well, I'm in the top 10 or I'm in the top 15. When you get to Dry Creek, unless you ask the person with the clipboard, you have no clue once you get out there. Like when I ran in, I saw two people who passed me earlier in the day. They're like, hey, man, good job. And yeah, I knew they were in front of me. And then as I was out there, I'd see them again at their crew spot. I'm like, I don't know, like if I'm in front of them or, you know, it gets really confusing out there. And it was like my team's uh, kind of like it was a spoken word. We were like, we're not going to ask what position I'm in until we leave Dry Creek. Once we <laughs> leave mile 64, then we're going to be like, hey, what position is he in? All right, go try to get to the front. So that's a pretty cool aspect. So should we spoil it and say how, how it went? I have some very specific questions I want to ask you, by the way. some I'm, I'm looking for knowledge today, but should we I get into we how it went it. real quick? No, let's, you don't let's think not we spoil do? it. Let's go okay. back in time. Well, I mean, we've just talked. Let's go back in time, knowing you have this three-part race, right? You run mountains, you run horse trails, which suck also. Horse trails can suck. Kirk and I both have horse trails in the Midwest. And whenever I'm looking for a nature spot to run, if I see it's a multi-use trail with horse options, I know if it's rained at all and these horses have gone through here, footing is just treacherous. So it's not as smooth as some people might expect. And Georgia isn't the driest state during a lot of the time of year. So and then you've got the mountain back end. So I'm curious if you, on the forefront of this, did you do anything different in training to prepare for this style of race versus your typical style, which is lock into the grind, stay in the grind all the way through, hammer my downhills and be the last person that taps. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I decided to race this six weeks from race okay. start, which is extremely <laughs> unlike me. Usually I know about a year out and I, and I race and I train very specific. And yeah, most of the time it's a slower, super vert heavy race. Um, so I just do tons of vert. I might run on average like 30 miles in a week, but I'll have 12 to 14,000 vert of vert. Um, and I always run it outside. So I never, anything I run up, I always run down. Uh, I'll never collect like 5K on the treadmill and then add that to Strava generally. Uh, um, so I was training, I trained really hard for this FKT called the Double Scar. And it's, 
the Appalachian Trail as it uh, runs through the Smoky Mountain. And it's uh, if you do the double, it's 140 miles with like 35,000 feet of vert. And so I was training for that. I went out there, did it self-supported, and completely messed up my logistics with my food. I ran through a cache, and I don't know what. <laughs> to this day, I really don't know what I was thinking. But and so I run through the cache, and six miles later, I go through my pack to get some food. And I realized I have, do not have enough food to go the other 30 miles to the other side. And I'm out there by myself, no crew or anything. I didn't even have like an evac plan. I live two hours from here. And so it's one in the morning and I call my wife and she's like, how much, how many calories do you have? And I was like, I have like 500 calories and I need to go 30 miles through the Smoky Mountains. And she's like, no, no, stay where you're at. I'm coming to get you. And she woke the kids up at 2 a.m. and came and got me. And, uh. <laughs> So I had all that training, and, and then I, oh. I went to Mid-State, and I, I coached at Mid-State, uh, and I didn't run it that year, and I came home, and I was just, like, sitting around twiddling my thumbs, and this is, you know, June, August, and Cruel Jewels, in, or Georgia Jewels in September, middle September. So August, I'm like, I have this fitness I haven't really used, and then I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I'll just start training for the double scar again. And so I'm out running on the Appalachian Trail in North Carolina, and I was on like a five-mile descent. This is six weeks out from uh, Georgia Jewel. Uh, and I'm on this five-mile descent, and I'm just flowing, man. And I was like, gosh, I want to run. I want to run like a 100-miler where I can run. I haven't done that in like a year or so, almost two years. And and I was like, oh, yeah, Georgia Jewel's coming up. You want to drop down to 100 so you can really open up and run? Yeah. <laughs> okay, gotcha, yeah. yeah. I wanted to really move. <laughs> and I was like, well, if I get to the trailhead, and I have a signal, and my wife says yes, and there's a spot open on the register. I'll, uh, if you can still register, I'll do it. And I got to the trailhead, and all three hit, man. And I was like, dude, I'm signed up. There was two spots left, and I took one of them. And uh, so six weeks out, I was like, okay, now we need to train race-specific. Um, and for me, that means I need to run. Like, I need to run a lot. So uh, I looked around on the map. Why don't I you describe? The- Sorry to interrupt. What do you, yeah. why don't you just, I need to run. Well, no shit, right? But what do you mean by that? Because I think you mean something different than what I think everybody listening thinks you mean by that. Yeah, I need so to run. I need to run a lot. <laughs> generally, I Duh, do what but you, what do you mean? <laughs> I, I normally do what you consider probably power hiking a lot. And then I might bomb the down. Um, but so I might be running at an overall, I'll go out and do 10 miles, 20 miles, and my pace will be. 15 minutes you know i'll have six seven thousand foot of vert in 20 miles but my pace will be you know 15 minutes is fast on that um for me and so i was like i need to be running nine minute miles on some trails so i found a mountain bike system right by my house called jack rabbit uh like jack rabbit trail system and it has like if you run all the it's for me it, it made me want to puke when i looked at it because it was just all these little turns and no vert at all and i was like well if you do all those little turns it's 12 miles and then so i just started running out there and you know i just started running like a lot of 20 milers yeah a lot of 20 milers I, or like 18 to 20 miles i go out there and just run it boom 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 what, what does and, that mean though specifics what is a lot how many times in those six weeks leading up did you hit 18 to 20 at least twice a week okay at least twice a week and then in my peak week i ran 18 to 20 miles like every time i ran um my peak week was like, so three weeks out from the race, I ran 88 miles with 16,000 my peak. And that was a lot of vert considering where I was running. 
usually if I ran 88 miles on the trails I normally run, um, I, that vert would be like 40,000. You know what I mean? It'd be, mm-hmm. probably, it'd be too much for me, um, mm-hmm. volume wise. But because there wasn't that much vert, I was able to run more miles. Um, so yeah, I went out. And just to trips. step in real, real quick, uh, to clarify what I was getting at with my previous question would have been exactly what you outlined. You are doing a lot of time stack and vert chasing that often power hiking versus running most of the time power hiking versus running. In fact, in a 10 mile run, maybe you're power hiking 60% of it and running 40% of it because the terrain's so steep. So you went and got race specific as soon as you could, which meant get yourself on more runnable terrain. So it's not like Justin was putting in that much more time. It's not what he was implying. He's implying that I'm just going to take the time I'm spending and transfer it to more race specific terrain, which meant I'm actually going to be on runnable terrain just to dumb it down for people. Cause there'll probably be a few people that will be like, I- I'm not quite understanding yet. So I just wanted to like lay it out. I think I'm oh, understanding. True. Correct. Right. That's a hundred percent true. Yeah. So I okay. would, I was still running either in either way when I was, when I do whatever I want and I don't have a race to train for, I'll run 10, 12 hours a week, 30 miles, 40 miles, but with like 12 to 14,000 foot of vert. When I started running a lot, like I said, I'm putting air quotes up for this to be race specific. My hours were the same, but I was doing a lot more miles uh, mm-hmm. rather than vert, vertical gain. And so that's, that's like the main thing that I did. I even ran uh, a bunch of road. Essentially, what I did was, is Georgia Jewel, if you take the, you know, if you take 15,000 uh, foot of vert and divide it by the 100 miles, that's about 150 foot of, of vert per mile for the race average. And so I was like, I'm just going to run, I'm going to run that. I'm going to run 150 feet on average uh, every week. And so I was even running roads, which I don't do a lot and, uh, and running like eight minute miles and, and which I, you know, I hadn't ran eight minute miles in a year and I was just, but I was doing it for like five, six weeks and, uh, just really getting that leg turnover that I really hadn't before, you know, uh, getting the form back and stuff. It had been a while since I ran like that. And so that's what I meant when I was, when I'm getting more race specific and running a lot is like literally instead of power hiking, just, just burning actually like how would your body react to that so at first my achilles flared up real like real bad uh and i wish i just doubled down on the mobility i do i generally do a lot of mobility anyway but uh i just doubled down on a lot of uh if, if i felt anything getting tighter my achilles i would spend 20 30 minutes on them uh, at nighttime on the stairs or uh, you know uh, doing like i do this app called flyability used to be called ramwad Mm-hmm. major motion workout of the day mm-hmm. and so i would just double up on whatever pose i'd feel something tight in i'd stay in that for like you know double the amount of time but yeah so when i started doing a lot more running it did my body started feeling little aches and pains that like it you know generally wouldn't with that amount of hours uh, of work getting put in but just because it was more pounding uh yeah more foot strikes <laughs> I definitely, I definitely was feeling a little more work. Do you find it's that simple? You said something like sim- simply, maybe brilliant. I don't know, but it's going to average out to be 150 feet per mile in the race. So I'm just going to like do that in my training. I'm going to make sure when the week's done, I average about 150 feet a gain 
loss per mile. I've never looked at it that way, thinking like, Bracken, you would know, like, let's say you went out to Montana or West Virginia or a Big Bear Spartan race, be like, okay, it's 5,000 feet of gain and loss over a half marathon. What does that come out to? I don't know. A lot of feet per mile. But being like, all right, let's just do that as the focus of my of my training. I've never looked at it that way before. But I have a feeling if I did, especially for mountain races, in this case, you're doing the opposite because you're a mountain goat that's trying to go to the flats in quotes. Like, well, that probably would get you 90% of the way there, even if there were no specifics given other than that. Do you feel the same way, Bracken? I've never looked at it that way. It's like dumbing it down. I look at it that way on consistent courses, and I look at individual mile splits on all the other ones, but I think for what he's trying to accomplish, which is find a way to palatably handle flats, any yeah. sort of goal metric for that's probably good. So I did yeah. the same. All right, anyways. Mid-state mid miles, 330 foot per... I can tell you what... Per, for every race that I've ran off the top of my head, I can tell you how many feet per mile average it is, because that's exactly how I've trained. And that's mm. for like, or that's I what I did for me. Tennessee. Yeah. I built a mile that replicated it. Exactly. And all my mid long and longs were easier on a loop course I found, but interesting that you do it on a long course. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's I mean, at least in my mind, I, I'm like when I, when it comes to race day, uh, and generally, yeah, for this race, it was, it was the opposite, but with it's a real cruel drill 100, like 320 foot a game per mile. I trained at like 400 foot a mile. Uh, so I was like, hey, you know, I can handle mm-hmm. more than what the race is, t- is going to take it for me. But, which, yeah. So that's – and then for this, for George, for Georgia Jewel, I also heat trained for the first time uh, really ever. I did like a two-phase protocol that Jason Coop kind of laid out, um, and I basically just mimicked that. Uh, like five about five weeks out, I did 10 days real hard, an hour a day heat training, and I didn't have uh, sauna access, so I used a sauna suit. And this was rough on me because I would run in it and I would either bike in the sauna suit for an hour a day and then run in it for an hour a day. But then I would still run like my planned run. And so at the end of the day, I was like, my face was white. I was just so exhausted. And I was like, I need to find a passive way to get some heat training in and for the set for phase two. And so my phase two was uh, two weeks out minus 72 hours before the race so for phase two i signed up for a gym and i went and sat in the sauna for 30 minutes at a time uh for like that was like eight days eight days straight for 30 minutes a day in the sauna and so i'd never done that and this race isn't it's not notoriously hot but it does kind of it's the race that kind of caps off the summer you know it could be 80 to 90 degrees for the first five hours and for me, I felt like I needed that because looking at the entrance list and looking at some of these other guys who were coming, I was like, they're faster than me. Um, so if I'm going to hang with them, I need to be, I need everything in my mm-hmm. pocket. You know what I mean? I need to be able to run hot. That's smart. Plus what's worst case scenario? It's cold. And then you just feel extra good. Yeah. And it was, it was overcast and like, uh, barely breached 80 degrees. So. Yeah, it was great. I was sweating. Uh, I was sweating good, losing less electrolytes in my sweat. And, uh, yeah, I was really able to, to pull on that, I feel, in the in the second half of the race. The first half didn't go well. In the second half, I was running outside of my means. And I was just like, I was the only person coming through aid stations at night, grabbing the sponges. and put, Everyone else was cold. 
I was like dousing myself in ice water <laughs> going through the AIDS. All right. What's this sauna suit about? You're, you're putting on, you're, you're putting on a sauna suit and actually going for a run like in public where like, like people can see you and Not all a lot that. of people. Not a lot of people out here. Well, uh, well, I just I'm trying to. Do you have any photos of this? Like, can we use this oh, as yeah. your like episode cover? Like you Absolutely. in a garbage bag or whatever it looks like running for. I just envision that to be amusing. And honestly, I see people at the gym doing this from time to time. Women in particular wearing some sort of suit on the treadmill, and I honestly just shake my head and think they're idiots. But if I saw yeah, a dude turned. hooking up a mountain, yeah, he trained for what? Uh, Anyways, it'd be a different take. I'd be like, damn, this dude is for real, for real. So it's it's the worst kind of heat training you can do. Based off of the, the little bit, of, there's not a whole lot of science out yet for heat training, but the science that is out and the discussions with scientists, it's if you can do any other, if you can do hot water submersion, do that before you run in a sauna suit. If you can get in uh, a steam room do that if you can get a dry sauna do that running in a sauna suit and adding clothing layers to make yourself sweat yes it does induce uh heat you know a heat training effects but it's they say it's the worst one i just didn't have anything else so i was Mm -hmm. like yeah i went to walmart and bought a sauna suit and i was like i'm gonna do this and uh yeah i have a few pictures i do uh there's this mailbox by my house no one lives there house is vacant and I can set my phone inside the mailbox. There's a real cool mountain uh, silhouette behind me, and I run by it. <laughs> and then I screenshot a, a shot of that video. So I have a few of those. <laughs> I'm just looking up sauna suit right now. It does look like a garbage bag. Uh, yes, pretty much a garbage I mean, the cheap ones look like a, gar- like a garbage bag. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Actually, you prep for it. You work through your Achilles flare-up. You get to race day. All right. Take us through it. Yeah. So I <clears> – <throat> It's a busy race morning. Um, typically, it always is. Can I? Oh. Yeah. Can I interject real quick, Bracken? Again, now yeah, that yeah. I wanted to jump into it, but now I want to belabor a little bit, just a little yeah. bit. Yeah, got you. We wet your whistle Sorry. a little bit for it. You did. Now I just have so many curiosities. Okay, I know what you used to be a police officer, right? And we talked through that in your initial episode. It was. I mean, I was hanging on every word of that conversation, and Bracken and I talked about it afterwards. One of our our best or favorite interviews, just human interest. Uh, conversation. So go back and listen. But you don't work a traditional job right now, if I'm not mistaken. But I'm starting to do the math here. I'm spending an hour a day running in my sauna suit. I'm going to the gym and spending a half an hour in the sauna itself. My Achilles flared up, so now I'm spending 30 or more minutes a day on mobility. I'm hitting my own training on top of the sauna suit, heat acclimation training. So I didn't do like mental math here, which I wouldn't say is our strength on this podcast, but I'm still getting to a lot. (laughs) I'm still getting to like an absorbent amount of time. I don't even think that's the right word, but a big amount of time. What's the time commitment here? Like just the level of dedication. I want to understand, like, what are we talking on a, in peak, let's call three weeks out peak volume time commitment between everything yeah probably about 20 hours a week 18 to 20 hours a week because the mobility is an hour in and of itself and i'll generally do that once a day um and that i i I warm up uh with like some squats some kettlebell swings and then i'll do uh it's so funny how i got into this there's a, a this lady on youtube called dr joe and she's like a physical therapist 
And a long, like three years ago, I had some knee issues and I found this IT band video. And all it is is hip drills. And so I started doing the hip drills and then like there's leg lifts. And now I just do it all, but I wear like five pound ankle weights. Um, so I do all this stuff first, all this moving around, scissor kicks, um, you know, leg swings and stuff like that. And then that'll take me about 25 minutes. And then I'll go into the 22 minute Ramwad. The, the app's called Pliability now. But they have a running path in the app, and they have six 22-minute videos. And so I'll just do those on repeat um, so that the mobility takes me an hour. And then, yeah, the hour of heat training, um, I, I did start doing it on my trainer downstairs. Uh, I have a, like a Zwift hub that I hook to. And so I was doing heat training on that, and that was generally at 9 o'clock at night. My wife would be down there burning wood or drawing her tattoo. She's a tattoo artist. She'd draw her tattoo for the next day, and I'd just be on the Zwift hub. With this sweatsuit on, just melting, watching like, you know, Jake Paul's documentary or something. <laughs> and, uh, and then, yeah, I would do my suffering uh, toys. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, the running was about two hours, um, at least. Uh, if, if you're in peak, you're talking three and a half, four hour runs, 18 to 20 miles. I'm getting more than 20 hours here, just in case you're wondering. I'm getting way more than 20 hours. Unless the runs aren't every day. The runs aren't every Correct. day. Runs are five days a week. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, five days a week running at most. Generally, most of the time it's four. The mobility was every day. The sauna, because when I was doing the uh, sauna suit, I wasn't in peak week yet, which helped. But once I started those peak week miles, uh, I was happy to have the passive form of heat training in the sauna. Because it was like I would wake up, I would send my boys off on the bus, check some emails or whatever, and then I'd go to the gym. And half the time, the sauna wouldn't be on, which made me so mad. And it'd be like 70 degrees. So I'd have to turn it on, go run some errands, and then come back and jump in the sauna for 30 minutes. So in and of itself, all the time in the gym was only 45 minutes. So yeah, five days a week running at most. About 18 to 20 hours a week because I tracked I tracked almost all of it on training peaks. I would, I would do cardio or something to track this time in the sauna, which I found out that you should not. There's a lot of your stuff you should not bring in a sauna with you, like your headphones, your watch. <laughs> it is, uh, most of it's not rated for more than like 120, 130 degrees. So what'd you all break? I didn't break anything. Well, I broke one pair of earbuds, uh, but they started working again. Um, nice. My Garmin, my Phoenix 6, it was a champ. I never stopped wearing it because I knew I was getting a new watch. I got a Chorus, and I was like, I'm just going to keep wearing the Garmin in there until like on the screen fizzles off or something but it would get so hot on my wrist mm -hmm. and then the shocks headphones i never stopped wearing those in there either but again like if you put your head back and that metal strap hit your neck it was it was hot mm -hmm. we, we were in sweden over the winter and we did there everyone's got a sauna out there so yeah we did that and they're like you better take everything off like earrings out mm. whatever you got because it's gonna burn you yeah yeah yep so i think i um I just wanted to get to the level of, I don't know, commitment, you know, or discipline, whatever word. Motivation's not the word, as we've talked about on this podcast. But I don't know, like nine o'clock bike rides, two hour runs, sauna suit, going to the gym. Like it sounds exhausting. It sounds unsustainable to me, to be honest. It sounds unsustainable. It How do you is. maintain a relationship with your wife, right? Your kids. And I don't mean to like sink my teeth into a part of the conversation we don't need to go down but that's what i think i'm like how do you how do you do this and not be miserable 
So tell me, then we can get to the race bracket. But I just these curiosities, like if I put myself in your shoes and did that schedule, I would have a lot of I'm sorry's, pleases. I'd be cranky. I'd probably be tapping into my sleep. I'd probably be achy. Like I just probably would be kind of the worst version of myself outside of the training, to be honest. So I just thought maybe I'd ask about that real quick. Absolutely. And I've been there. I've been that person before. Uh, but fortunately, I'm blessed, man. Um, so I almost always run while my kids are in school. Uh, during this whole training block, they're in school. So I would drop them off at the bus. I slept. I used the whoop, um, and it's always yelling at me. So I generally slept six hours a night. Um, if not, I would take a nap, which is just going to add to what you're talking about. I would add a nap at the end of the day. Um, so I drop my kids off at the bus, go to the gym, hit the sauna, come home run for two, three, four hours, and then do mobility, and then pick them up from the bus at 3.45. My wife doesn't get home till, you know, she's some night, some day she'll get home at 4.30, some day she doesn't get home till 7.30. And so I would even take my kids to football. And then my wife gets home and I have dinner made. And she she eats dinner. And she so she's not a whole lot of complaints coming from her when I'm taking the kids to the bus stop, picking them up, taking them to football, cooking dinner, and then doing the heat training next to her on the bike while she's drawing, yes, she does hate like our peak weeks. Those last those two weeks where I'm really getting after it, she always says like, I mean, after this race, she literally said, "Can we not have a race for a while? Because I can't do another peak session." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it does it does weigh on the family, but she also knows that uh, we're the way she puts it is like he's never content with who she is trying to be she's always trying to be something more and she wants that for me too and she knows that there's sacrifice just like her coming home at 7 30 because she had a big tattoo piece or because or she's down in the basement she does wood burning she wood burned this huge bench for someone's wedding she was wood burning two hours a day after she got home from work and so there's just sacrifices that we're both willing to embrace to watch each other grow and stuff, man. And it, it wasn't always like this. Like this past, this past six months to a year is the, is when we really got into giving each other that equal sacri- sacrifice and equally for each other. You know what I mean? So it just works. It works out. And I generally never run while my kids are awake or well, sorry, my kids are either asleep or in school when I run. And that's the biggest, that's the big bulk of my training. So my wife's mm. never really complaining. It was interesting. The, I, the only, the ultra I DNF'd, I put some time into and was still unprepared, I think. But I, I went after it and went into my, not monk mode, but the married version of monk mode. And uh, towards the end of it, I've said this on here before, but I said, Lisa, I'm sorry, I won't do this again. And she thanked me for it. And then fast forward a few years as I've started to pick back up and want to do some things. She said, you know what I like when you're training for something? So it's it's one of those where hmm. it's tough in the moment, but then after time you realize it's also a little better. There's a medium. There's a happy medium. There's a middle ground there where the those circles cross over and that's your sweet spot where you are pursuing something within reason. But yeah, those big weeks do become stressful. Yeah. Yeah, and my, my wife, she, she calls these her races, you know. She's she's my crew at every one of these things. And, I mean, when you do good at a race, it's better for your coaching business. Um, you don't have to be a good runner. You don't have to win ultras to be a good coach at all. 
Um, but it certainly helps with marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. And she yeah. knows that. She knows I'm trying to build my, my brand and, and stuff like that. And it's just a little bit of a sacrifice for the family as a whole. And, but yeah, I used to be pretty selfish in it. And I used to be like a psycho. I didn't always run while the kids were asleep or in school. And I didn't, I didn't show sympathy to that. I'd be like, well, you got a job. This is my job. But that's just not how it is anymore. Mutual respect. And that's how we get through it. Mm-hmm. Well, so, not to continue this conversation but to continue it i was asking as much about that as i was about like isn't it the last thing you want to do at 9 p.m is put on a garbage bag and bike in your basement <laughs> like those sort of things too like like obviously you're disciplined enough to make it happen at the same time like that sort of intensity while you're working and you have a family and then we can move on i promise but like that's what i'm, I'm also asking about like that also sounds exhaust exhausting, right? It seems like you run through cycles of, you know, peak weeks and down weeks, maybe so to speak. But like to that is it Bracken asked me a question. What was it two we got a good response from it. Two weeks ago, Bracken, our Friday episode, you were asking about discipline or how does it get done? And, that. Yeah. and we had not as con- okay, we had not as conversation about it. And so it's been top of mind and I got a lot of my athletes reached out afterwards and said thanks or something they needed to hear. So I'm more like there, there's a level in which I think I I live, we'll call it, and I'm very disciplined, and I get my work done whether I want to emotionally. If I emotionally want to or not, it doesn't matter, right? But then there's another level, and that's what you're outlining. And so just because we had a recent conversation about it, I thought I would ask you, it is there no negotiating? Like you just sound so matter of fact when you say, yeah, I did the Ramwad and I do this and I do an hour of mobility and then I do this and that. Like it doesn't sound doesn't sound like there's any sort of negotiating here. So I'm just curious about that aspect. Yeah. So there's a few things uh, to that. So I'm, I didn't start running until four years ago. I, I wasn't a runner. I ran because the Army made me to in formation and I ran because it was a PT test. Um, but I didn't run in – I ran one track season, and that was in seventh grade. And that was literally, I ran like an eight fifteen mile, and they clapped for me. Like, not not sounds good, but <laughs> you could finish. <laughs> and so I was never a runner. That was it. I didn't run in college. I didn't do any. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I went to college online when I was thirty. Uh, and so I know I have a I'm I have a deficit, and I have to make up for that somewhere um, if I want to be competitive in these ultras. So I know that I have to do more than other people are willing to do. And the way that I'm able to do that is just because, yeah, I'm messed up. I like, I'm all or nothing. And that was with alcohol. That was with drugs. Um, when I was a cop, I was running and gunning, like pulling people over, chasing them blindly around corners. When I was in the Army, I, I went into the Special Forces Selection Program and the Qualification Course. I've just always wanted more and more and been been willing to just do whatever, even if it's at a detriment to my, you know, even if it's drugs and alcohol, it's a detriment or, um, or whatever. And this is something that I don't generally ever hurt anyone with. Um, I don't hurt myself with. And yeah, it's something that I'm able to go all in and kind of fill that cup, man. And it's like, <laughs> it's like this. So I saw this at a drop bag at an aid station. And it said, it's either this or meth. <laughs> and so that's kind of how I look at it. <laughs> it's like, it's either I'm in the, in the sauna suit for an hour at, you know, 9 p.m. and not getting to be comfortable. 
or it's you know i'm i'm not living to my full potential and i'm gonna fall off and you know god forbid you know i'm, I'm done with that old life but i just i have no problem going all in with and, uh especially if if my wife co-signs it it's just like all's a go all right. I, I like I need I I like to hear that. That's good. It's either this or back to the bottle in a sense for you, right? It's like this is yep. clearly a healthier thing to be all in on. So, all right. Yeah. I didn't mean to you know put off our conversation about the well, race by 20 minutes, but Oh, no. Yeah, do it. Do it. Yeah. Be, because like it's re- I have to say this carefully. It's real easy for someone to be like, "Well, it's this or meth," right? It's very clear delineation. Like it's this or it's alcohol. It's this or incarceration it's this or whatever that big bad like everyone knows about it kind of thing but there's a gradient to that and we all have it but it's less clear as you get further down that gradient and i think this is an important time right now for people to pause it and come to grips with what that thing is it's this or Maybe it's this or I spend another 45 minutes scrolling or I spend another 45 minutes just flipping through channels or I spend another hour on Facebook or I spend another hour gossiping just about nothing in particular, just filling my time because I need something to give me a little hit. What your thing is, whether it's scrolling or whether it's meth or whatever, it's somewhere in between. And some people might say scrolling is a whole lot closer to meth than it is to other things, but you're (laughs) getting that something somewhere and we all have a black hole that sucks our time and our better selves into it and it really is important i think to get it written down we're not all cursed and blessed with a very specific monster that sits right here on our shoulder but we all have one we just may not see it as clearly as other people who have met theirs so i just really think it is important for everyone to identify that That's a really good point yeah i do mm. So yeah, there. I think it is almost harder when it's not when it's not clear. Though you're right, it, it, Justin's hour in the garbage bag. You know, if he wasn't doing that, it's <laughs> it's what it is. Oscar man. the Grouch sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a garbage can. I know, They're very but different. I can't help the imagery that pops into my head. <laughs> you can actually. This is my um, you're going to let me live it. Well, and it could be a simple hour in a garbage bag or on the bike, or it could be, you know, or an hour of eating garbage on the couch, right? For somebody right. who's looking to lose weight. Like it, there's so many things that aren't as clear or one good, the whole like cascade of like, I really believe this. And Justin, you've lived it. Like one good decision leads to another. You know what? I got my workout in on time and then I went to bed at a reasonable hour so I could get up the next day at a good time and get the kids off to school and feel good. Like, and those things have a compounding effect, just like one bad decision leads to another, right? It's how you end up in weird, dark places in life. So I think there's a lot to that, Bracken. It's just like not as – you're right. It's not as clear as meth, but we all have it. I have it. I can think of right. three things right now. Yeah. Well, I was with a, a buddy who used to joke, can't have 10 without one. Got to have that first one. Can't, I can't mm. drink 10 without one. But it's the same thing with workouts, right? You can't double without getting your morning session in. But the moment you get that first one in, that second one goes down easy. Hmm. Drinking reference, that is. Nice. But true. (laughs) Yeah, but it's the same with workouts. I've been doubling the last three weeks here, a couple times per week. And it sucks that it's a drinking reference, Kirk. Sorry, Justin. I'm sorry. No, I think think it's funny. And you got... uh, But he used to laugh about it. And then it got less funny as he wasn't in college anymore. 
you know how that goes. But right. it's the same as I've been doubling these last three weeks. It's like, man, I used to struggle to get one in if I let it go past noon. But if I get my first one in, that second one's happening more often than the first one used to. Like there, there's oh, yeah. the good side to all those bad things. Yep. There's just that struck a bone. The second one goes down smoother is like an eerie truth. Right. And there's probably a lot of that for Justin too. For the first one happens, the the garbage bag definitely happens later in the day and the yeah. and the mobility, you know. Yeah, the good things, path, but... the bad path, they're wired the same. We get to use yeah, those man. paths for good. Yep. The race now? Now are we on the race? Yeah, seamless transitions. Race, race morning. It's hectic. They always are. Yeah. Hey, speaking so, of which, how many how many messages did you get uh, about tangent? We had a conversation about what is tangential versus listened, running the yeah, tangent. I listened, yeah. It was okay. Hilarious. I got a number of messages. <laughs> I got none. Yeah. You didn't? Not one. Oh, I got. Oh, I got four. What in the like, world? Explanations. True explanations about tangent and tangential and. I can explain it to you later, but the tangent thing, we always think we're going to be good and not do it, and then we're just somehow in tangent land. Yeah. So, I think it's well, – we're done Tangent now. was actually a positive. It was like getting to the point, right? That's what you said in the podcast. Yeah. Like tangent's all – like when we say it, we mean like going off on a wild – And yet know, on a marathon course, they're like run the tangents. Yeah. Like if I do – if I run my tangents, I'm running a 50K on this course okay. today. Yeah, I'll get – DQ. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. The race. The race, Justin. All right. All right. The race. Listen. So, all right. So I have two dogs that need care. So I knew I should have, you know, set it up to put them in boarding the day before race morning, but to save $60, which That's I would have right. given $500 on race morning and I had to do this. So we had to drive the dogs to boarding and we live in the mountains. So the place we go to to drop them off in the boarding is an hour from our house. But it's an hour south in the opposite direction of where we need to go. Uh, it's not the opposite. It's an hour south, just not in the direction. It's not the opposite, but it's not helping us at all. So we drop the dogs off. And on the ride there, I'm just holding this dog in my race. I have my race clothes on. And I'm holding my puppy. It's a blue healer, six, six months old. And it's just going nuts. And I can't let it go because it's my other, my English bulldogs in the back. And I just have, like, gels, bottles, soft glass, and this blue healer, if it's not running, it's chewing something up. And so I can't let it go. It's going to ruin my race. That's what I'm thinking. And so I'm just this ball of, like, rage in the front seat. My wife's driving. I'm holding this dog. And, oh, prior to leaving, I ate some overnight oats, right? A real healthy, clean, just gluten-free oats. Uh, my wife, she has celiac, so she doesn't eat gluten. So we had gluten-free oats, and they were uh, soaked with uh, blueberries, strawberries, and a little bit of maple syrup. And I didn't notice at the time, but these, these were like three- or four-day overnight oats. Um, I don't know if the stuff ferments in there or not. but So I eat this, and I'm thinking, I normally don't eat this. Normally I eat like eggs, bacon. I eat like a greasy, fatty, proteiny breakfast. But it was race morning, and I you know, went against the, the rule that I know is don't do anything different on race day. But I was like, this is a good thing. <laughs> like, I know this is the clean meal. And so I eat these overnight oats. We get in the car. I've got this ball of rage, which is my dog. We get it off the boarding. Now we have a two-hour drive to uh, the race start. What time's the race that'll start? That'll give me 12 p.m. Okay. So it's this yeah. isn't two in the morning. No. No. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's cool that it's 12 p.m., but it's also weird. Uh, mm -hmm. it's very weird. Um, so we get there at right, right at 11 
and do the packet pickup, and I haven't gone to the bathroom. And I'm like, it's noon, and I haven't like gotten rid of these overnight oats yet. <laughs> uh, uh, oh well, I have baby wipes in my little belt. I wear a naked running belt, and I had two handhelds. And I was like, and that's I it. What's gonna happen? That's all you're bringing? Yeah. So I had my naked belt, and I had like uh, three spring energies, and uh, one of the handhelds was a uh, scratch super fuel, mm-hmm. the high carb. One was water, and then I had Tailwind Soft Flask, like a 500 milliliter in the belt. So I had all together 40, 56 ounces of fluids. And, and how do you like the- Scratch compared to Tailwind? Love it. I love Scratch. So Tailwind, I could drink Tailwind all day, but mm-hmm. I have to get pure water in, and I have to get another carb source like Cluster Dextrin. If I just drink uh, Dextrose, like the sugar, that if I just drink Tailwind, I'll... My, my body does not like it. But as long as I, you know, transition, get regular water or some scratch in, I can drink it all day and it works great. Okay. Um, so that was my setup. So I had two, two 20-ounce handhelds and then a 16-ounce soft flask. And baby wipes in my little belt and some salty britches. I squirt it into like a uh, Ziploc. That way I can stick my hand in it and put it inside out. And it's like the Ziploc's like a glove covered in salty britches. And you can just stick it down in your pants. And then you throw it away. There's nothing on your head. <laughs> and uh, so I had this set up. And I was like, okay, it's not a big deal that I haven't uh, taken a dump yet. What's going to happen is it's going to hit me on the run. And I'll just wait till I'm about to blow. And then that's where I'll jump off trail, grab a tree. I'll hit it. I got the baby wipes. I got the salty britches. I'll be back in action. That's right. And so we take off. And the race starts with two miles on the road. And, you know, uh, eight-minute mile goes by. And I'm in, I'm in front. Like, I'm the first person. Uh, no, that's not true. So we take off, and this one guy just goes, like, insanely fast. And he's gone. No one sees him. And I was, like, looking around, like, what, the, what is he doing? Like, that is crazy. I'm not – he's going to blow up. That's, that's insane. And so now I'm in front as far as everyone else can see because this other dude's just gone. And so I run an eight-minute mile and then a 730 and then now you hit the power line climb, and it's like mile and a half, two miles with ah, like a little over a thousand feet of vert. So it's it's a nice climb, and you hit that climb, and I go through the mile three eight station, just water, and I go through there, and I check my little card, and I'm six minutes ahead of my my pace to be there, and I was like, okay, calm down, chill out. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so I literally let like two or three people pass and I started power hiking up the rest of the climb and you get to the ridge line, which is just covered with rocks. And I was like, okay, I'm supposed to be running 10 and a half minute miles on this ridge line, but I'm six minutes ahead of pace. So if I run a few 11s, it's going to be fine. And all this was based off of a sub 20 hour pacing sheet that I made. And so I start easily putting down 10 and a half minute miles on the ridge line that's covered with rocks and i start feeling this rumble in my tummy and i was like oh man okay here it's it's coming it's no big deal we're playing we're ready for this and it just didn't really come and i was like okay the rumble just kept happening but the explosion feeling wasn't there like it wouldn't come to the tip and now I'm thinking about this, and so I'm not, like, in tune with where I'm running, and I just I roll the crap out of my, my left foot, and I'm like, I smile. I'm like, all right, dude, get in get into what you're doing. Think about what you're doing. Is this typical for you? Running. Do you roll your ankles often? No. All right. So nope. was, this, was this scary? Was this worst-case scenario? 
10 miles no. or less into a hundred? No, because I've, I've rolled my ankle really bad at the beginning of a, a buildup to where I couldn't run for like a few days. And this mm-hmm. wasn't, this to me was like on a scale of one to 10, this was like a three as far as r- rolled ankles. Okay. And, but it was enough to me be like, okay, I need to pay attention to what I'm doing. And I'm running along and I keep feeling this rumble in my stomach. It's like gas cramping pain. And, but I just like can't get it out. Like it's not, that's it. It's just these cramps I'm having. And, uh, this dude comes up behind me and now I'm in like fifth place. And this guy comes up behind me and he's like pulling tail. And I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna let anyone else pass me for a minute. And I'm running like as fast as I can on this rock garden. And then boom, I roll my ankle at a scale of one to 10. This one's like a seven. And I'm like, oh, I limp off the trail and I let this guy pass me. And he stops. He's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And I even see him at the mile 11 aid station. He's like, I have a compression sock that I'll give you. And I remember thinking, you're going to stop your race, open up your pack, and give me your compression sock. I was mm-hmm. like, that is really nice of you. Uh, but no, I'll be fine. And so I go through the mile 11, and the mile 18 aid station is your first crew spot. And there's also, like, those trailhead bathrooms there. You know, it's just got that toilet, and then you can see way down in there. Oh, yeah. Pit uh, toilet. Got those mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'll wait till I get there. Maybe the natural position of sitting on like a porcelain throne will induce this out of me. And I'm taking off and I get like three miles out from that aid station and I catch up with two guys that had passed me on when I rolled my ankle. And I'm like, and they're chatting it up and they're talking about, yeah, I want to go sub 24. And one guy was like, man, if I just go under 22 hours, I'll be happy. And I was like, that's what? No, I'm trying to go sub 20. I cannot be running with you guys. Like, I'm not here to chat. And I didn't say that, but I was like, okay, I'm going to go. And I just gun it past them. And I take off. It's like a mile descent down into the mile 18 aid station. And I'm literally, I'm daydreaming, man. I'm daydreaming. And I picture like what it's going to look like when I run through. And, and, and now I'm back in fifth place. And I roll the crap out of the ankle again because I'm daydreaming. And I'm just like, what am I doing, man? Like, I've never rolled my ankle this many times in a row. And it was a mix between paying attention to my stomach and just daydreaming. And I get to the aid station. Everyone's cheering. My kids are there. My wife's there. And I go over to the van. And I'm looking at the bathrooms. And she's like, how are you doing? I was like, good. I just got to take a dump. But, I like, I can't. The feeling's gone now. Like, other than, like, I felt like I had this weight in my intestines. And so he's like, well, here, take some Pepto. Like, maybe if you drink some liquid Pepto, it'll just clog you up, make the feeling go away. And that way, when you get to Dry Creek, there's bathrooms there, but you'll do loops at those bathrooms, and you'll just be ready. Mm-hmm. Now, that's actually a pretty good idea. So I, I chug some of the liquid Pepto, and then I take two Pepto pills, and uh, I'm like, all right, let's get out of here. And then... I make it to like mile 22 and I've now I'm like, I'm feeling this, this pain in my stomach. And I'm like, dude, I got to try to get this out. And so I go off trail, I grab a tree and somewhat successful, but like nowhere near satisfying. And I'm like, oh, and then I can hear people run past. And I'm like, there's a few more people passing me now. And then at this point in time, I'm like, I don't even know what position I'm in, but at least seventh or eighth. And uh, I come up and at I run another At this point, mile. was your stomach impeding your ability to run like the speed you wanted? Or yeah. were you still yep. able to run like you wanted at this point? Or you were already behind ankles aside due to the stomach? No, so when I came through mile 18 aid station, I was 20-something minutes ahead of my pace. 
So at okay. that point, I was still I was still ahead of my pace. But after I go through that aid station, when I'm running the downhills and stuff, I'm seeing like a 13, a 14 pass on my watch, and I'm like, this I need to be running faster. Because um, I wanted to get to Dry Creek. All I did was take 20 hours and I times that by 60 minutes and divided that by 100. And I was like, okay, so I need to run faster than a 12-minute pace on average. And then the Coros has your average pace little thing on here so it's like hey for 18 miles your average pace is 11 and then as i'm running after i pass mile 18 i'm watching that 11 minute turn into the 11 your average pace is 11 15 your average pace is 11 30 and i'm like dude i need to get to the halfway point like with my average pace being 11 that way i can run 13s and at the end of this whole thing it'll average out to 12 you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but that's not happening. Now I'm just running slower and slower, and I'm seeing my average pace just creep up. And in between the mile 18 aid station and 25 aid station, I went off trail uh, three times and grabbed a tree with no real relief. Um, and then I get to mile 25, and there's a bathroom there. And I tell these guys, I'm out of baby wipes. I tell these guys, oh, dude, I'm, I'm hurting. And I'm assuming I'm in like 10 or 12th place. And I'm just like, this is racing just not happening for me, man. What the heck? And they're like, well, we have a ton of baby wipes and there's a bathroom right there. And I was like, okay, all right, I'm going to go sit. I'm going to go sit in there until something happens, man. And then I hopefully, I tell the guys at the aid station, I'm a, I'm a really strong second half type of guy. So hopefully you see me come through here in a better position. And so I go sit in the bathroom for at least, at least 10 minutes goes by in the bathroom. So I don't know if people pass me or not. I'm assuming at least one or two do. And... Again, there's no real relief, and I'm just, like, sitting there sweating because, you know, when you stop running and you just start pouring sweat, and I'm just like, <laughs> I just pull my shorts up. And I'm like, let's just let's go. And I take two more Pepto uh, pills on the toilet, and I climb the short side of John's Mountain. It's only, like, a three-mile uh, ascent. And I get to the top of John's Mountain, and I have, like, a six-mile descent into that dry creek flat area. And for the first That's time, it's gonna get day, it going, Justin. That descent's gonna get it going for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Come on, give me something good here, Justin. No, it doesn't come for a while, but I, it's coming. <laughs> uh, <sighs> so I get to the top of John's Mountain, and like the energy from the crew is just awesome. And like, there's these good old boy redneck guys. They're a junior or amateur radio club. That's how this race keeps track of runners. You run through, and they say, "What's your bib number?" And the radio club radios to the next day station, hey, Bib 48 just passed. And the radio guys were just, like, hooting and hollering. And, like, I ate a bean. Uh, for the first time today, I ate a bean, a black bean quesadilla, black bean and cheese quesadilla. I ate that, and I was like, oh, that was good. And I was like, I wasn't, I was planning on eating spring energy scratch from Tailwind the entire time. It's just because it digests fast. And I was like, huh, okay. I dumped everything out of my bottles and I filled them all up with water. And I was like, I'm going to double up on my salt pills and I'm eating all these quesadillas at every aid station. So I got more quesadillas to go. And I was like, I'm just going to switch up my nutrition plan right in the middle of this thing. What could go wrong? And I, I start descending and yeah, start seeing 10 minute miles click away. And I was like, okay. And the stomach, I don't know if all the Pepto sucked it up or what but it, it subsided and i got into dry creek at mile 36 and my wife's like how are you doing and i'm like i'm good now i'm feeling good like i just ran really well uh so i then i tell her no more scratch no more tailwind give me extra pills 
And every time I come through this aid station, I'm going to want just a ton of quesadillas. And so that's what we did. And I went out on the first loop and I was eating the quesadillas, drinking a ton of water, um, taking the salt pills, and I just started feeling great. And I go out on the second loop and I start I put start putting down nine minute miles. And my wife, I can tell by the way my crew's acting that um, I'm doing good in the race because they start getting real excited when they see me. They start rushing me out of the eights. And I was like, babe, wait, calm down. I want my headphones. I want my cell phone. And... I want to listen to music because I didn't leave the start line with a cell phone or anything. And I was like, I want to start listening to some music. And I started listening to the music and I even got uh, pigs in a blanket. Like, I, dude, I was eating the most real food I've ever eaten in, a, in an ultra. And I was just feeling like super energized and the music was, was hitting the spot. And I started running nine minute miles out there. And then I go out on loop four and I'm about a mile in and I'm like, oh. Uh-oh, here it is. This is no mistake in this. And now you've and got go a dozen trail. bean quesadillas and pigs in a blanket behind Go off behind trail, you. and I just, I release. I release it all. And <clears throat> I remember feeling like, now my race starts. And I take off, and about two miles later, I pass this guy named Chad Wright. You guys know who Chad Wright is? We, not personally, but we're well aware of who he is. I can't hear you, but I can see you talking. You can't hear? Okay, so... Kirk, try. Hello, can you hear me? Well, I know you're responding to me because you're talking, but I can't hear you for some reason. <laughs> oh, you uh, can't hear. So it. I passed what do we do Chad here? Wright. Maybe it's my internet. Well, you, I'll uh, just keep going. You just I passed Chad at about mile uh, 56, and I was like, I know Chad's in the front of this race, uh, so I got to be doing good. I got to be in the top five. And I passed him, and he's like, Is that Hamilton? And I was like, uh, Yeah, brother. That's me. And uh, can you still hear me? All right. I'll roll with it. So I pass. I pass Chad Wright. And he's like, is that Hamilton? And I was like, yes, sir. And he was like, what loop are you on? And I was like, uh, I'm on loop four, man. Uh, yeah. And he's like, loop four? He's like, yes, sir. And I just truck on pass. And so, this, so now I get back to Dry Creek. And I'm assuming I'm in top spot. And... I'm like, okay, well, I pick up my pacer now, and now we got this whole mountainous section left to run. And I pick up the, my buddy, and we're like, we start running up. It's like that six-mile uh, ascent up the long side of John's Mountain. And we're, so we call it nickel and diamond. We're going to nickel and dime what we can. So we run, we walk, we run, we walk, and we run and we'll run as much as we can. And we get to the top of John's Mountain, and we see a headlamp in front of us. And I'm like okay, that's, that's gotta be, oh no, we get to the top of John's mountain and my pacer says, Hey, what, what number are we? And they say, you're number four. And I was like, all right, man, I'm finally making some ground here. I'm getting up to the front and, uh, we take off on the descent that a steep, rocky descent. And we see a headlamp in front of us. And I was like, Oh, that's four. And then we were like, let's just, we're going to ride his heels. We're not going to surge to pass them. We're just going to let him know we're here for a while. And so we're riding his heels and then I know this course really well, and I know pretty soon it splits off. And one of the trails kind of starts going up the mountain again before it descends and curves back around. They eventually meet up, but it adds like a half a mile and some vert. And I see his headlamp start going up. And I was like, dude, he's, he just took the wrong trail. And I was like, we're in third place. And, I was like, and, my, and we're like, whatever. Let's keep going. We didn't hoot, you know. Thought about hooting and hollering, but like, oh, 
whatever. We're just going to keep on uh, descending. And we get to the bottom of it, uh, to the mile 75A station, and we ask, and they're like, yeah, you're in third. And I was like, okay, cool. Uh, we were right. That was fourth place going the wrong way. So we tell the we tell the aid station, just for safe reasons, we're like, hey, we saw a guy go off course. Uh, hopefully he'll be here uh, <laughs> within 10, 15 minutes. If not, like, I don't know. We just want to let you know someone's off. And so we're hammering it, and... When we go through the mile 75 aid station, Chad Wright's wife is there, and he has a fresh pacer waiting for him with his wife. And they're like, good job, Justin, because we know each other, acquaintances. Keep crushing. And we there's a pretty, like that douche grade, ascent, like three miles uh, before you descend into the mile 81 aid station. And I start feeling pretty crappy on that ascent. And I know I'm slowing down, and I know Chad... Like, we had this, like, unspoken rivalry. He was in the Navy. I was in the Army. He won mid-state before I went there and won it. And it's, so it's always been like, what if Chad and Justin race? And and here we are. And I'm like, he's not going to give this thing up. He's coming. I know it. And I'm slowing down. And he's probably speeding up. And I remember being like, and we get to the top. And we have, like, a mile and a half descent into the mile 88 station. And we we, we make that descent, and we cross the hardball road, the uh, paved road. And Chad's wife's like, good job, Justin. He's just 10 minutes behind you. Don't stop. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> I was like, one, either she's trying to motivate me, and he's not really that close. Or she's trying to, like, do good by her husband, and he's... And he's not that close, and she's trying to get me to blow up, or, or I don't know. I don't know what the strategy is here. Uh, come to find out, she was being awesome. She was lying to us both to try to get us both to run faster. Uh, but so I go through the mile 88 station, and I'm like, where's my wife? My wife's not here. My crew van, all my stuff is not there. And so we're like, okay, whatever. We just go to the aid station, and I literally just pack in quesadillas into my naked running belt and uh, <laughs> fill up my waters. And they're like, hey, second place dropped. Yeah. He he was that guy. Remember in the beginning I said who ran ridiculously fast? <laughs> well, they're like, he just quit. He said he's done. He can't run anymore. And I was like, we're in second now? Oh, my gosh. And I was like, how far is first? And they're like, oh, he's like an hour and a half ahead of you. I was like, all right, well, we're just <laughs> we just need to hold second then. And we ascend uh it's like a mile ascent out of uh, the mile 81 aid station and we're, we're climbing and we get like to the last switchback and I look down and I see two headlamps moving good. And I was like, Oh gosh, dude, that's Chad. He's coming, dude. He's coming. And then, so I told my buddy, I was like, we're going to, we're going to send it real soon. And so I take a spring out and I shoot this because I know I can't shoot in case of the fast enough. And I'm like, I've squirted the spring in my mouth, chug some water, and then my headlamp starts doing that blink. Like, hey, I'm dying. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And when I have this ultralight headlamp, that was my super backup. It's in my zip pocket. of I have the uh, two times you uh, light speed shorts. And I have, so I have the little ultralight backup, super backup headlamp. I never plan to use it. And Chad's coming. Now he's within, like, 50 feet of me and we're on the ridge line and he's uh, he's running fast we're running like 11 minute mile on top of this ridge line in the pitch black dark my headlamp's off and so <laughs> i take my headlamp off i pull the ultralight one out i strap it on i turn it on and i tell my buddy i say send it dude send it 
and we just run like I was like we're gonna drop him and just kill his morale and make him think yeah, I can't catch him we you know he's they're running too fast but Chad didn't let up dude and he's behind us and now we're running in a foursome just dodging rocks tripping and he's like bantering back and forth like why are you running so fast man I, I ain't trying to pass you and and this that and the other and I'm like, you can pass me if you want, but you're getting my best today. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not stepping off trail and saying, here you go. I was like, if you can pass, you can pass. And I'm just running and running. He's like, on your left. And I was like, like I said, <laughs> like pass. And so he skirts the side and he's running. And then now we're running right behind him. And uh, they get about 10 feet in front of us. And I clip a root or a rock and just complete whatever I was running, eight miles an hour to zero flat on my face and my pacer picks me up and I stayed up and there's blood dripping down my chest from the rocks I slid on and he's like let's go we gotta let him know we're coming and then so we take off running and uh, I was like in a daze at this point and we just see them just keep pulling up pulling away and pulling away and I tell my pacer I'm like bro I gotta walk for a minute and gather like my belongings here and my soul let my soul re-enter my body and I did remember thinking, I don't want to let up too much. I don't want to let fourth place catch up because I'm still in a podium position here. I'm still in contention to run maybe under 21 hours. And I was like, I need to push. I need to keep on pushing. And my, at this point, my, my left ankle was visibly swollen. Uh, and then my right uh, knee started hurting from my IT band, that sharp pain on the outside of my knee. And I get through the mile 98 station, and then you have, so now all we have is 10 miles to go, seven miles of this ridiculous rock garden, and then a three-mile descent, essentially, to the uh, finish line. And we're up at the top, and my pacer's even rolling his ankles. This dude's ran like 30-something miles at this point, and he's rolling his ankles. I'm rolling my ankles. We're nickel and diamond, running when we can, running probably 13, 14-minute pace on the ridge line, and... uh yeah, then it starts to rain. Sun comes up, gives me that second wind, and we descend into the finish line. And, uh, yep, I ended up getting third place. <laughs> third place in 21 hours and 33 minutes in, like, 17 seconds. And we Chad beat us by 20 minutes. <laughs> 20 minutes he smoked us by. But it was good, man. It was a good fight. And, uh, yeah, I'm the, I'll never forget that. When he was coming up behind us, and I had to pound that spring energy, and I had to change my headlamp. I just remember thinking, this is mountain racing right here, man. Like, this is the real deal, right? And I'll remember that forever, dude. It was it was definitely a race that will stick into my mind. Like, it didn't go... For the first 28 miles, I was in misery watching people pass me and feeling like I had to crap, but I couldn't. But then the way I stayed, I call it stay in the fight. I stayed in the fight long enough for everyone else to start sucking. And for me to, to achieve and like get that, uh, got my Roomba coming on. You're off for everyone else to start sucking and me to, me to pull ahead, man, and get the podium. Can you hear us yet? So I don't think I'm gonna be able to hear you. And I don't know why I'm gonna refresh. Yeah, do that. <laughs> Never had somebody turn upside down. Severely infected toenails. I don't know why. Uh, I, <laughs> I left the doctor and, uh, or I was trying to let it heal. Chad hits me up on Instagram. He's like, Hey, let's go on this crazy mountain bike ride. And I was like, all right, cool. Meanwhile, the back of my head, I'm like, dude, my toes are messed up. So that day I go to the doctor and I'm like, well, okay, let me, 
Let me go and uh, see if I can get some antibiotics. So that way my toes will heal over the next three days. How many can, days uh, post-race is this? <laughs> and I can heal up and go do this mountain bike ride with Chad Wright. <laughs> about, so about five days post-race, I felt fine. My IT band kind of subsided. And then, yeah, and then my toenails, they seemed pretty normal. But then, like, on day six, they started to, like, turn red and start draining pus out of them. And I was like, oh, this is this is not normal. This is not good. Yeah. So then what, what did it turn out to be? Doctor give you a shot? Did it clear up? And did you do the bike ride? Yeah. No, he gave me – I forget the name of the antibiotic. He gave me a, an antibiotic, took it for, for two days, and then yesterday was the bike ride, and my toes were – dude, my toes were swollen, and they were still a little pussy. And so I just taped them up, crammed them into bike shoes, flipped in, and – <laughs> went on this 10-hour bike ride. It had like 10,000 feet of vert. It was on the most, he called it a gravel ride. I was like, this is not <laughs> gravel. This is a mountain bike ride in my mind. And I have like carbon forks. He had like suspension forks. I have like, uh, my tire size are 40s. And his tire size was like 2 point something. You know what I mean? He had a completely different type of bike than me. And uh, it showed, man. I was hanging on for dear life on this bike ride. And but I mean, we got it done. I got home, and well, I didn't get home. I got in the car and immediately took my shoes and socks off, and just like my feet, <laughs> my toes were throbbing. Um, I don't know how to handle this because I guess we're still being recorded. So, we are. Um, yeah. Uh, my last question, and for those of you listening, um, we're having some technical difficulties. So if this starts to seem a little Wet bracken? You want a wet? I was just that holding a about? finger up for him so he knows that we're just we're, oh. just hold on for a second. <laughs> yeah, for for those of you listening, we have some technical difficulties where Justin can't hear us, so we're relaying questions via phone phone voice message, and so if it's a little uh, let's say not smooth at this point, that's why. But I have one last question for Justin, and I just want to know after all that training, after and a big race, like, what left, does he says. what does the week of recovery? Uh, actually look like to get yourself back to square after or however long the recovery is afterwards to to get back to normal training again i'd say so after after a general 100 miler or an fkt effort there's about 14 days seven days of like not really running at all just letting the injuries or or like the fatigue soak up and go away and then the second half of that 14 days i'll i'll start running i'll start doing a little jog jogging outside five miles maybe maybe a 10 mile on that second saturday um but within 30 days i mean within really three weeks to four weeks i'm ready to rock and roll again without like without infected toenails or anything like if i didn't have infected toenails i'd have been running this hmm. and and that's returning to full training yeah yeah man so yeah really i i have a race a last man standing race in january called the conquer and it's a 5k loop at amicola falls and you do the it's got nine no, it's got about a thousand feet of gain per 5k loop and all thousand feet of that gain is up a staircase and then you run down a steep technical trail and so if my toes weren't infected right now i'd have running shoes on and i'd be fully starting this training block uh i have a hill by my house that's uh, it's 1.4 miles with 1,400 foot of gain, and it's called the track rock climb. So it's 100 feet per tenth of a mile, and that's what I tr- would. That's what I trained on for mid state, and that's what I'm going to go train on for the conquer. 
So if my toenails weren't all messed up and infected, I'd be out there putting in, you know, two hour efforts on there uh, next week. Hmm. I mean, hopefully I will. I mean, the antibiotics work pretty quick. So hopefully, you know, next week, the week after I'll be starting this training block for that January. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we're going to abruptly wrap this thing up, sir. Justin, uh, I was hanging by every, uh, every word in your story of your 50 K you see, or 50 or hundred miler. You have a way of doing that to us. Uh, but we appreciate your time today. Probably be a follow-up episode again in a year when you do something spectacular, I'm sure. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, man. I, I don't I don't lie. I'm not trying to fluff it up when I say this is my favorite podcast. It really is. I listen to every single one of them. And uh, I liked especially what VJ Jones said um, about his attempt to go 59 minutes at High Rocks, where he said, I'm just going to go out at that pace, and I'm going to hang on and see what happens. That's kind of been like my race strategy with these ultras is – I don't, I've, most people would be like, Justin does not need to be running in the front. Well, here I am and I do it and I hang on and just, I adapt with what, with what comes from it. So to hear someone articulate it like that, I mean, he didn't even articulate it that well. He just said it. I'm just going to go out and hang on, man. And I I really like that mindset. Uh, I think it's a good way for not calling VJ ordinary, but for ordinary middle of the pack people just to see what, see what's up, man. I mean, at the end of the day. You can still sit at an aid station for 20, 30 minutes, eat some food, and and finish it out. But I don't think there's anything stopping most. I'm just a dad. You know, there's nothing stopping people from going out, pushing the pace, and seeing seeing if something special can happen, man. So that's, that's what I'm going to continue doing, man. I definitely I, uh, want to urge people to go try to get some more from themselves. But And he's out. <laughs> that was new. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we had the Georgia Backwoods internet connection issues today. In case nothing else is salvageable, uh, we hope you enjoyed the first two thirds of this and <laughs> have a great long run. Okay, we'll leave it. We'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm.